It's not simply that the Pharisees prioritized outward appearance over inward transformation, or that they valued following rules over doing acts of justice and love. They did those things for sure. But the real danger in hypocrisy is pretending. Hypocrites ultimately fail to tell the truth about their real spiritual state, and in so doing, they undermine God's work in their lives, which means they cut themselves off from knowing God's grace. In this week's sermon, Kelly preached on Luke 11, 37-54, where Jesus calls out the Pharisees at a dinner for, the, for their hypocritical state. Today, we're going to discuss these verses and also talk about the Christian's role in political issues. Stay tuned from Glen Allen Bible Church. I'm Matt Marone. I'm John Vanderbilt. I'm Beth Mott. And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is episode number 184 of The Next Level. Good afternoon. Hey, it's good to be back. And we're back. Three weeks off. Three it's weeks. Been, it feels like it's been three weeks. John, did anybody out there in listening oh, yeah. miss us? And lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> All did the you people just have to silence, did you silence your what, phone? What's no funny is I got, te- I got te- text That's messages awesome. from people, but the, the messages were hilarious. They were like, Hey, uh, I think something's broken. Like the <laughs> assumption is that it's broken. We don't know how to do it right or something. But uh, yeah, people were were wondering what was going on. Oh, I thought you were kidding. Yeah. You're being serious. Yeah, I'm being really, serious. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, we didn't say anything that oh, we were going to take yeah. three weeks off. And then it, I thought we were going to be back last week, right? and Kelly was just slacking off. He and totally he was, was like, like, you know what? I want to. I want to do so next year's monologue. <laughs> and then disappear. <laughs> so the rule is: this is good from a human resources perspective, right? So the rule is: you do a monologue, three weeks off. Yes. Monologue, three weeks off. Thirty-minute monologue. Forty-minute monologue. No, it's all good. Well, it's good, good to be back, yeah. people. People missed us. They did sure. be missed. Six they people. love me. They really love me. <laughs> they set their calendars and their schedules they by do. the podcast. The they got lost. Well, we've had three weeks off. Have you rested your vocal cords, Kelly? Are you going to sing every week still this no, whole year? I, or that we'll was just Advent? If, if the Lord leads me to sing. <laughs> we so stop I, it. I am horse by singing. third service. <laughs> yeah, you were horse on third service. It's bad. And I, I, it's I, a lot I, of words. So. Do you talk a lot at home? I don't. It's a pretty quiet home. My word count on a day-to-day basis is fairly low. That's what I mean, because now you go on a Sunday, and all of a sudden it's like Mm -hmm. 10,000 My problem is I want to sing all three services with the congregation. Who cares? All right. I mean singing on the podcast, because you've sang the podcast every week. I know you mean to zing (laughs) me, Beth. Remember that text between just you and me and Beth that we were going to tell him? to sing anymore? (laughs) What would you like me to sing? That Joseph... That's Joseph. <laughs> How did that go? How did people respond to that? Good overall. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was really encouraging. Awesome. I, really encouraging. I'm telling you, I rewatched. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did too. I rewatched. Five the times wasn't enough. I was waiting for stuff to load late at night, and I rewatched your the Joseph thing just because I never really oh. got to watch it from the video. Changed it's, your life, John. I thought he was going to say it was late at night. I couldn't sleep, so I watched the Joseph thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was out. It felt right so asleep. So anybody struggling with insomnia? <laughs> I just I felt like the video team captured it really okay. well, yeah. and it, I mean it's yeah. it's it's well done. Mm-hmm. I actually had a couple people ask, um, "Are you going to start doing services that way?" Yeah. Back and forth, back and forth. Well, no, just no, like a like live. The live. They appreciated mm. the the live video of in service live every week instead of Thursday. <laughs> yeah, like from a, a video oh, perspective, the like the live because the service we posted was of a live service, mm-hmm. and so we aren't going to go no. that route. Why wouldn't we? Soon. It, the turnaround, like uh, that was a special. That's what case keeps you up late at night, isn't it? Well, it does, but it, it, that it, for me, it's not as big of an issue. Yeah. But to have a video crew with that, you know, then that level of production and, and then be able to turn it around within yeah. a reasonable. I mean, this was a real special case mm-hmm. um, right. that we we organized and agreed upon with them. And they had multiple yeah. people helping and doing all that stuff. So every single week to do that would be difficult. And they so, still turned it around the next day. Yeah. Wow. Right. So so if we did something Sunday morning, it wouldn't you be, wouldn't have it until right. right. For sure, it wouldn't be until late, late night right. or, mm-hmm. or early the next morning. And the live stream idea is just, 
Yeah, there's so many Take, variables that yeah. can go wrong. Mm-hmm. I watch other churches live stream, and it it buffers. Yeah, and oh, you yeah. just can't get it through. Mm. Yeah, it's a it, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but we we like to we connect with tons of other churches and kind of networking groups and share our best practices and ideas and stuff like that. And it's it's really f- kind of fifty fifty in uh, in the church world. It seems to be that uh, a lot much larger churches have the production capacity, which I hate that word production, but, but the, the, yeah. the team, That's what the, it takes. the production team, yeah. equipment and management and all that. And they're not just contracted out. They actually work yeah. for the church. Correct. That and, is their job. Yeah. And they're watching and monitoring and running and, and, and they've got a little bit more people and resources to make it happen versus, you know, um, churches kind of more our size are ha- have some resources and things like that available, but timing and People I think our church would probably better. have to be twice its size to yeah. produce that in-house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, most of those churches will have a full-time IT guy, a person, and a, and a full-time sound engineer. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And there's not like there's not ways that we could pull it off, but right. we've just had such rhythm and success with what mm-hmm. we're doing that it, it works well for our volunteers and mm-hmm. and facility and on all that. Yeah. So. Well, the online in, from in my opinion just looks really professional this the streaming ones look they just they're a little harder to connect with yeah. i feel like because yeah. it's from a far away angle so with the way you guys have been doing it you feel like you're more a part of yeah. worship than that's good that's good feedback from a thousand feet yeah well, we had um yeah yesterday i was excited we had two new worship leaders on the platform mm. so cool. that was cool yeah, yeah. Awesome. um and they're, they're a married couple um, who just started going here in the last year, and one plays drums, the other sings, and awesome. so they did a good job. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was, it's always fun to see new people yeah. getting involved and I leading her, worship. I thought her platform presence was excellent. Yep. Oh, good, and very comfortable. Great. Near as I could tell, he he could uh, hit the drums on key. So <laughs> just like you. <laughs> so yeah, that was good. Awesome. Very fun. So we've got a lot of questions today. Tons of questions. Mm-hmm. We got to work. We got to yeah. work hard. So we're gonna we're gonna get into them. First one: What in the world is Christian nationalism? Never heard of that, and it sounded awful. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I can't stand to watch the news, so it is no wonder that I don't know what is going on. Was Christian nationalism uh, new for you, Beth? I'll put you on the spot. Then yeah, no, actually. Where is it? Yeah, um, okay. Then, but once you kind of defined it, you've seen I, it. Yeah, yeah you, you get it. Heard it? Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. But no, I wouldn't have. You you kind of approached it with like this Christian nationalism thing is like it was something everybody would know. <laughs> well, You're giving okay. power to it, Kelly. You're uh, well, giving power probably. to it. <laughs> so let me just revisit it. Christian nationalism is a movement of politically active Christians who advocate for a greater influence of so-called Christian values on government policies. And of course, there's nothing wrong. Let me say this as clearly as I can, and I'll have to say it probably multiple times in the podcast. There is nothing wrong with Christians wanting to influence government policy. I try to influence government policy regularly by contacting my senators and congresspeople at both state and federal level. I've actually, in fact, the church paid for it a couple years, flew me to D.C., and I went to congresspeople's offices to advocate um, for um, against um, human trafficking. So, um, and then just last summer, I was a part of authoring an open letter uh, from clergy in the Western Burbs here to Governor Pritzker about COVID response and its impact on the church, trying to steer him in a particular direction. So if you know me, you know I'm activistic. No one's ever called me passive aggressive. They've, they've, they have accused me of being actively aggressive, which is not a pretty thing. Uh, but I am, I am activistic. I am not passive. So the problem with Christian nationalism as a movement is that it conflates, it merges the Christian and American identities, making them inseparable, commingling them. According to Christian nationalism, to be a good Christian is to be a good American, and to be a good American is to be a good Christian. The problem is that that is neither true biblically or constitutionally. So, you know, the Constitution wouldn't agree with that statement, and, and Christ wouldn't agree with that statement. The truth is, Christians are to be good citizens, but their allegiance is first and foremost to Christ, not America. 
The truth is that patriotism does not require us to affirm or deny any particular faith. In fact, the Constitution protects freedom of religion. And then the truth is Americans of all faiths have a right and a responsibility to engage in government. So the notion of Christian nationalism, we're going to make this, we're going to take the country back uh, and reaffirm what the founding fathers wanted, you know, this would be a Christian nation. It's a farce. And it's, it's contra-constitutional. So I, and I would add, I don't think creating explicitly Christian political organizations optimizes our voice as a voting block. Let's be honest. Lots of the issues Christians are passionate about would be affirmed by other faiths. We do ourselves a disservice in some instances by naming a particular political group as Christian because we exclude thousands of voices that would join with us. Not to mention we miss the opportunity to rub elbows with people of other faiths and share Jesus with them. Good. Yeah, I actually particularly Kaboom. like that. I like that point a lot because we don't want to live just in this Christian bubble, right? We want to be learning about other faiths and and joining mm-hmm. together with people. So I, I particularly like that point that you brought up, Kelly. Yeah. There's, you know, the whole discussion for me, you know, it, there's a couple of troubling things that are also kind of un- included, I would say, under this Christian nationalism banner. They're often, you you hear people say these things in, in reference to it. One of those is that America is this Christian nation that you mentioned it just a minute ago, but this idea like we're founded on Judeo-Christian values. The forefathers of our country were founded on these Judeo-Christian values. You hear that, that language and that we should fight and defend to keep America as this Christian nation. Um, but I would argue that that's not what we should be doing. We should be fighting to keep America free. Mm-hmm so that any religion is able to prosper in America. Mm-hmm. That, that's what our, our, our forefathers were, um, although people will say things like Judeo-Christian values, I think we can look at the forefathers and say there are some other values at play that are really not <laughs> Judeo-Christian, like slavery. And, like the three-fifths compromise. Yes, yeah, all sorts of different things that are going on. So, and, and to say that other that the, the, the value, you just said it, but the, those values are, are uniquely just Christian. Yeah, they're not exclusively Christian. Is, is, is a fallacy as well. So keeping America free, to me, is, seems, is, the priority. is the priority so that any religion can participate, that America should have no official religion, mm-hmm. that there's a, our state religion is Christianity or our state religion. That has never served the church well. Just it, go to Germany. Yes. Go to modern Germany. Or Iran or, Iraq, or any of these places <laughs> where, where you, you take an official religion and make it a state, that this is the religion of the state. It's really dangerous uh, to do that because if you think about it, the, the official religion of the state can change by whoever is officially in charge of the state. Right. So we could be in favor today and out of favor tomorrow. Correct. So the state should not be picking favorites at all. And I get it that there's often times where it feels like the state is picking favorites. And those are battles that are worth having. If Christianity is uniquely being persecuted in ways that other faiths aren't or aren't able to practice freely in the way that other faiths aren't, then there's an argument to be had. But the argument is not we should be more Christian. The argument is we should be more free. Everybody should be more free to practice. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I think sometimes that the, the waters get a little muddied there. You know, we could nuance out all these, you know, specific things. Well, they get to do this, but we don't, or they get to do this, but, you know. One of the conversations that happened with the, some of the, uh, the stimulus money, this is a recent thing that came out with the PPP money and, and things like that that came Payroll out. Payroll protection program. Yeah, there was, there was some fear that um, I had and other, uh, others in our church specifically, but, but nationally as well, that the government was actually going to pick favorites in who they were going to give that money to. Mm-hmm. It was actually that they might pick Christian organizations only. 
<laughs> to get that money, that a church could get the money, but a mosque couldn't. <laughs> and to me, that's very, very, very dangerous. Agreed. Mm-hmm. It's a very dangerous uh, road, you know, to go down. But also, I think, and kind of next to this included with it, is this, this idea that America is, is called by God or set apart by God in a unique and special way that other nations are not or could not be. And I just don't think that's true. I think God has called one nation and created one nation, and that's Israel, mm-hmm. right? And we yep. could go on and on and on and on and on about what does that mean? Their current role. <laughs> their right. current role, yep. their future role, yep. their past role. What does all that mean? But there's nowhere in Scripture where God chooses, builds up, and endorses one country over another. Right. Now, certainly, he has used kings and presidents and nations in all sorts of different ways throughout our history. But to say that America is now God's Christian nation, mm-hmm. that we represent Christianity to the world, that I recently just heard people saying America needs to continue to be a light on a hill for all the world to see Jesus. That's a church that is, metaphor. That's a church metaphor. That's not what America is for. Yeah. America is not the vehicle politically as a state that is going to be used by God to communicate Christianity to the world. Christians need to understand that when they pass the torch to government and say America needs to be a light on the hill, they eviscerate the call of the church. Right. They they really hurt the family of okay. God. And if, if America wants to be a light on a hill, we should be a light on a hill for freedom, justice of mm-hmm. all, representation equal of all. That is the light on the hill we should be to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can be an example, without a doubt. And I hope America is, right. uh, of things like justice, right. equity. And totally. we're clearly mm-hmm. unique. Freedom. Like God has clearly blessed us in a certain way to be able to influence a lot of the world. In, in other ways that I other countries be, haven't. When we I'm say, not saying like, I, hang on, hang on. Let me let me be particular. We need to be careful <laughs> that our our material blessings as a nation have come from God. We, you know, at, so wait a second. It, our you, we need to be careful saying it. Saying it because mm-hmm. there because can this be country, truth in the there. economy of this country, was built on the backs of slaves. Yeah, correct. So the the economic engine of this country got its start in just a grotesque manner. Sure. And so we just need to be careful equating wealth with the blessing of God because the corollary is poverty is the curse of God, and that's yeah. just not biblical. Right. Mm-hmm. Read the book of Job. Sure. And Go ahead, Matt. Well, let me, let me say it a different way. Um, of all the countries in the world, we, have, we seem to have the, the biggest opportunity to do good, to help Yes, I think uh, we are unique in that. Of, that's what I'm saying. So Our we, freedoms. We are unique. Yeah. And I, God is sovereign. Like, however he brought that about, he brought it about through our sin, through our fallenness. Yeah. We are still in this position to be able to do a lot of good. Yeah, to whom much is Whether given, much is expected. It, right, Absolutely. Right, right. And so sometimes I wonder, um, yeah, like, how, how do you communicate that as a, how do you say that in a way that isn't a light on the hill? You know what I mean? I like think you just you... say it, that uh, America as a culture faces the judgment of God if it thumbs its nose at, at the responsibility that we're given as nations to care for each other. Is it, it... Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult, I guess, to think about what does America export to the world? Like idealism, like the, the, the ideas. What do we give to the world and I don't think that it's America's job to give the world Christianity. That's the church's make, job. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. And America's so, um, not doing a very good job. Right. That's what exactly. Right. And so what America can do and how we've been blessed is we are exporting our freedom, the idea of freedom and mercy and justice for all. And it's admitting that we suck at it sometimes. And the balance of powers is what's beautiful here in America. This experiment of America is one that's worth following and investing in. And that's this idea of, man, we've made some big mistakes that we need to, we haven't yet apologized for Mm. fully and say, but 
we, we will continue to strive for freedom for all of our people, e- equality for all of mm-hmm. our people. Um, and certainly, what's interesting in that, and look, I think we'll get to this later, certainly there's Christian crossover there, right? Yeah. right? The value of all people, freedom for all people, the right to make your own decisions and care for your family and do it. Those are, those have a lot of Christian crossover, mm-hmm. yeah. but they're not explicitly right. Christian. Cause I think some people would say that, um, and I'm not going to pretend like I have a political science major here, but, um, that or the democratic Republic is founded on the principle that there is value in the individual and not the, the, the whole the government, right? Mm-hmm. And that might be where it differs from a kingdom or from maybe a, more of a socialistic approach mm-hmm. is that in a democratic republic, there, and, and that there's worth in the individual and that that idea that the individual is, is um, um, uniquely worthy, uh, worth something and special is a Judeo-Christian principle. Some people would say that and say that's what we mean when we say America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that? Oh, totally. It's, and so, like, there's where some of that crossover. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, right. But you don't have to be a Christian to do all those things that we we right. said. So the idea of of continually pursuing to uh, pursuing the path of making America Christian is not necessarily. Uh, required. Right. But I think when you when you talk about that crossover, that maybe is where people trip up and blend the two too much. Right. It's okay for there to be a, a separation, and there should be, just because there's cro- crossover doesn't mean we go in all in on yeah, that crossover. Right, right, because right. we often, and I've heard you talk about it a lot, is how, you know, some people maybe who haven't really dug into the Bible criticize the Bible for being misogynistic or, mm-hmm. um, you know, but actually when you really are studying it, right. you're actually seeing a pretty radical view mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. equality of men and women. Mm-hmm. You're seeing a radical view of the treatment of, of different races. Mm-hmm. Like you're seeing, and, and for the time in which it came out, it was radical yeah. compared to the societies around it. Mm-hmm. And so when some people talk about the equality that we strive for, as being, you know, fundamentally a Judeo-Christian principle. I think that's what they mean by that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, does that have credibility then to say that our country is, could you say that our country is founded on Judeo-Christian principles and mean those things? I think you like could that? say there are some Judeo-Christian principles upon which our country was founded, uh, but certainly not all the principles upon which our country are founded are Judeo-Christian. Well, yeah. Uh, reflect scripture. Ju- right. Ju- so, right. um, but you could certainly say some. You could also say there are some Buddhists, Hindus. Sure. Now, the, the difficulty is yeah. there weren't any Buddhists or Hindus influencing the founding of America. In, in other words... Um, or at least they, they didn't get... <laughs> they didn't, they didn't get the influence. Get right. <laughs> so I get it. So, uh, you know, the people that came from Western Europe and populated and founded uh, America and, and wrote the Constitution, by and large, were confessing Christians. Um, Not and, perfect. Right. No. Confessing Christians. Right. So maybe a better word would be professing Christians. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, and, and so I get it that scripture was a, a huge influence that, you know, that humanity's made the image of God. Uh, but, let, we've, you know, so there are certainly Judeo-Christian uh, principles, values, ethics that underlie some yeah. of our constitutionality. You know, John- For example, you could argue that the problem of sin is, is assumed in the balance of powers. They didn't want to yeah. give all the all the power to the president. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't say it's because of the problem of sin, but you could certainly read that into it. They don't want to give one person all the power. Yeah. How do you feel, John and I were talking about this yesterday, but how do you feel about, um, so a Christian is reading an article and it has something to do with, well, we're, um, a certain state or whatever has decided to remove the word God from whatever it is. I don't know. I'm just making something up. Maybe you know, either on a, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, r- whatever it is, yeah. like, 
or something that we actually do regularly or say regularly or whatever, but we're going to remove God from that because it's offensive to those who don't believe in God. And that's on the table for discussion, for, for lawmaking, for deciding. And somebody says, you know, from a Christian point of view, like that's discrimination, that's persecution, that's, that's wrong. We're a Christian country. Like that's a pretty it's a pretty realistic example. I think that's yeah. where a person would say, you know, man, we were founded with principles, the biblical principles, not all, but like our forefathers, most of them were yeah. Christians. And now you're wanting to remove God entirely. That was an alien idea for them mm-hmm. starting out. Like God was part of society and culture more so than it is today in their, you know, what would, would what would be their equivalent of secular culture? It's like God was still in it. Now it seems like to a lot of people, they interpret the times as God is being more removed mm-hmm. as and we I think progress. He is. No, I think he is. So I, I would, you know, if I were a senator, I'd love to be one. If I were a senator, Wait, I would. would you really? I, yeah, absolutely. You'd, let, you'd yeah. go into politics? Sure. Okay. It's not my calling. <laughs> but, Brady. Uh, 20, is it 2024? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, you know, I would argue that I think, you know, a, a monotheistic worldview um, that uh, one nation under God serves us well and that we shouldn't drop that slogan in God we trust on our coinage or... But it doesn't make us any more or less Christian. It certainly doesn't make <laughs> us more Christian to have that slogan in there. I mean, I mean being the, a Christian is not as easy as saying a slogan. Right. 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 I, I have more of a problem with it being removed... For the issue of trying to appease everyone, appease everyone, some some of that actually not really, but some some of that more the changing of history. Like we can't, you can't just remove stuff and then it didn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I actually have a problem with removing the Confederate monuments. I don't because because I think that the right thing to do would be to replace. Or oh, I like that. Yeah. Or, or change or re rename. Re, yeah. Not not even necessarily rename, or but add to the story. Yeah, look at what Germany has done mm-hmm. in the wake of World War II. You know, they they tell the story of what happened mm-hmm. and what they did through their monuments, through their mm-hmm. education. Yes. They don't just stand there the way they were. Yeah. Right. So you can't you can't and remove some of that's something going and then, on in America. Yeah, you can't just remove something and then it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a way of saying something about in God we trust that helps explain to people that this doesn't make us Christian. This doesn't make us God honoring. It doesn't make us God fearing as a nation. What it means is that the founding of this nation was heavily influenced by the ideas that there's a one God and we should trust in him. Mm-hmm. Well and, spoken. Yeah. And that was well spoken. So if, if people take it off, <laughs> I mean, some people, I'm going to get an email. I don't really <laughs> care if people take it off. If they explain, if there's a way, and I don't have the way, and I, I would just as soon <laughs> yeah, right. leave it there and, and, and yeah, talk about the way. But the issue of it being there or not being there isn't an eroding of my opportunity to grow in my faith and mm-hmm. share Jesus with others. And that's what I'm most concerned about mm-hmm. yeah. is our church being able to flourish. And if God is on the money or not on the money, that doesn't matter. Our church will flourish and it ha- it should have the opportunity to flourish and it's individual believers, the opportunity to grow in their faith and share Jesus with others, whether God and God we trust there or not. Yeah. Yeah. And people will die fighting and getting crazy about yeah, things, things like, like that that. Right. that actually erode, I believe, are the witness of yeah, that's the what, church. That's where in, the merging in the comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, we, when we scream foul as, a, as the people of God, as Christians, as the church, when we say, no, you can't do this because it's a Christian nation— it's just not a good argument. Mm-hmm. You know, you're—, you're, you're so right, well, and it's I, limiting God because God's going to do what He's going to do, whether His name is on the currency totally. or not. In any country, and He can do it mm-hmm. in a country that that has Allah on their currency. Right, <laughs> it is doing it. He <laughs> yeah. is doing it. Right, or Mao, or whoever you know. And and, and I want a Christian president. I mm-hmm. want every congressperson to be Christian. I want every person of influence to have Christian values. But that's not realistic, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I I, I want Christians in. Po- positions of power and influence. Of course I desire that. 
But what I don't want is that to change the experience for non-Christians in America. Mm-hmm. Right? I want a president, he or she, to listen to what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life and guiding them and directing them. But I don't want them to be a Christian so that they can make America Christian mm-hmm. and that we are become Christian. Does that yeah, I, am I making sense? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I want everybody to be saved and changed. And I, of course, I want our leaders to to listen to the Holy Spirit and be guided by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, that's the best kind of leadership you want to have. Let me let me end with a Winston Churchill quote. So post-World War II, as they were rebuilding Europe and um, the Iron Curtain was going up and communism and um, democracies were were finding their opposite ends of the globe and this Cold War was erupting. Churchill said, uh, many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I you know Churchill to me just kind of I I love living in America. I and I I hope I'm a good citizen and a patriot. Um and but ultimately my allegiance is to the church and I want to serve America in that with that in mind. Um so we need people who we need Christians who can both understand the value of freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. I just had a conversation with, with somebody here in the lobby that came by to pick something up, and he said, man, I'm, I'm kind of just vexed and sick and ugh of everything going on in the country right now. And he goes, I, I just, I love my country. Mm. I, love, I love it here. I love our country. And this is, you know, it's just making me sick what's going on. And he goes, but then I have to re- remind myself, I'm first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And secondly, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. And when I put, you know, things in the right order, priorities, um, it, he's like, you know, it just, it just helps put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. That whether America crumbles, falls, thrives, thrives, yeah. uh, my citizenship is secured in in God's in my kingdom. allegiance. My allegiance is to that kingdom mm-hmm. first. So, yeah. It's a good word. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go into some more fighting and escalating <laughs> tension. Um, uh, something that Kelly brought up. This is a question about something he uh, talked about in his sermon. And in your personal story, it was, I can't remember if it was Thanksgiving or no. was it Thanksgiving. Then you brought up something that you said you later, it turned into a, it got An ugly. argument it got ugly. involving I, people, other people, yeah. <laughs> you had to apologize, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think this question is, is around that. So when considering whether to pick a fight or escalate the tension, is it better to swing and miss at creating a gospel-centered argument or simply stick to silence? Yeah, I would not advocate for silence. The short of it is silence isn't a long-term option for Christians. Gospel-centered conversations are something we must learn to do well. And when I say learn, what I'm actually saying is we're going to have to fail at it sometimes. Like my Thanksgiving dinner experience a couple years ago, I did really poorly at my own family's dinner table and had to back up in my effort to, to talk about something that was difficult to talk about and controversial. It was, it was the place of Christopher Columbus in uh, the, the Thanksgiving remembrances and kind of the anti-Columbus movement um, that is so popularized as, you know, America's indigenous people um, were mistreated and, and mishandled. And um, so I just, I responded really poorly. Um, I, said, I said amen to the prayer, and they're passing the potatoes. The dinner had barely started. And I said, hey, what do you guys think of the, the Columbus, the anti-Columbus kind of movement? And I'm just trying to get conversation going around things that I think would be interesting to talk about. And uh, someone at the table said, why can't they all just get over it? And I said, kind of matter-of-factly, hard to get over rape and murder and theft. Oh. 
and you pass the gravy. Pass the gravy. <laughs> you guys seen the new Cobra Kai season? It's been good. It's been good, right? It just, you know, my, I didn't escalate the tension well. And, and it was a learning experience for me. I didn't create safety in my own household um, with someone who doesn't share my perspective on, so, um, so we need to learn. We need to be open to learning. Learning means we're going to have failures. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll engage with folks really productively, and the argument we present will be helpful to them. Sometimes we'll do very poorly and have to back up and apologize. So to this questions, to this question asker's point, then would if you could go back and relive that, would you just, just you know, silence it, just not bring it up? If because I'm trying to picture a way where that conversation goes well, and I'm having a hard time picturing it going well, no yeah, matter how you it frame was, it. So there were three generations at the dinner table, uh -huh. and three really, three generations is is a broad spectrum mm -hmm. of opinion and experiences. And someone at the dinner table is actually uh, related to some American Indians who live on the reservation. So, and I didn't know that. <laughs> so it just... Uh, I don't know why they're giving us a bad rap. It was a bunch of Europeans that did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, why, didn't I, Euro why doesn't the Europeans ever get called out for this crap? They started it. <laughs> they get called it's out for plenty. <laughs> I don't know how it could have gone better. It, it, uh, sometimes I, th I talk before thinking. Mm -hmm. it, it probably would have served me well to say, hey, what kind of, you know, you know, a couple hours before the dinner started, hey, what kind of conversation do I want to have? And I'm thinking mm -hmm. in my head and I may mm -hmm. plan something out yeah. mm -hmm. and actually yeah. offer some spiritual leadership rather than just pull my guns and start shooting at the dinner table. <laughs> Well, I mean, what I'm here, what I've seen in this question is they're they're asking for two options: do I swing for the fences or yeah. do I stay silent? Well, there could be a middle ground, you know. Like Love Kelly, it. you kind of swung for the fences. You maybe could have had a, a response a little less brash than, "Well, would you excuse rape and whatever you <laughs> Hard said?" Hard to get over rape, Hard murder, over and theft, <laughs> right? But asking, you know, asking some questions, you know. Um, seeing where they're coming from, trying to yeah. find some sort of three generations is going to be a lot of unique and different perspective that we can all learn from and might steer the conversation in a different way. Yeah. So it, I don't think it has to be either swing for it or stay silent, but find a gentle middle ground. Well, and this person is asking about specifically a gospel centered argument. Right, so we're kind of we're we're moving it over towards your Thanksgiving. I don't know. All truth uh, is God's history, truth. History lesson, but um, but th no. But let's talk about like specifically the context of we are going to discuss the gospel, and you have a feeling this is not going to go well. Mm. This is going to be difficult. Is it better to have it, th or just stay silent? That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't I think silence think, is a long-term option for Christians. I think that's a good answer. It, it's it, yeah. Silence I, maybe in that particular case. Yeah, fair on enough. On that particular day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like you said, long-term. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think sometimes the the quiet, the person who isn't just feeling like they've got to argue and make a point and be a voice, it can be the most Christian move. Right. So sometimes they're obviously I mean, it's so hard because we're not looking at a live example right in front of us. Like whenever somebody and says we don't this, know all the players. we should always right. respond like this. And we, yeah. we don't know all the players. We don't know what's mm -hmm. being talked about. I do think there's a there's a, a role that a Christian can play in a conversation or whatever that they actually just say, man, I, you know, I've heard you or I'm listening mm -hmm. or that other perspectives don't offer. They want to draw sides. They want to pick the fight and do the, you know. So um, I do, you know, again. I shared my faith. You could be gospel-centered and be totally quiet for a period in a certain situation. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I shared my faith with my dad till I was blue in the face and finally said, I'm not doing it anymore and really had a peace with that. Mm -hmm. And there was probably, I'm going to ballpark this, a decade when I did not bring Jesus up to him again. And then my sister walks in one day, shares Christ with him. He accepts Christ. Boom. There mm -hmm. you have it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And I just, I, I, 
I, I came to a place, you know, John, where I had said it and said it and said it and said it and pressed and pressed. And, and finally, I realized, you know, God loves my father more than I love him. Mm-hmm. And I just had a, an, a peace mm-hmm. that I don't have to keep badgering the man. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great example yeah. of following the Holy Spirit. I continued Spirit's to lead. pray. Yeah. Uh-huh. I hope it was the Holy Spirit. I hope it wasn't just a, you know, a I wimpy. Yeah. Your, your verse here is, is a good one because this is actually a, an apologetic kind of take where the verse you wrote down here, you shared. Did you already say it? No. Okay. So for <laughs> first Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. It's important not to take this verse and say, be prepared to confront people <laughs> with the gospel and the reason that you have hope. You know what I mean? There's an, there's an ask and an answer that's happening here. Not all people are asking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to, to come at them take. with, you know, this is how you should live or this is the gospel, da, 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 that, that might not work really well mm-hmm. <laughs> for you. Um, not, that there, not that there is an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who hasn't asked. That's not what I'm saying. But often, if people aren't kind of warm or inviting or asking, they might not want to hear what you have to say, and it might not go really well, and it might not achieve what you're trying to achieve. It, oftentimes, in those kind of confrontational gospel situations, it's more about the person wanting to check the box that said, I shared the gospel today, mm-hmm. than it is about the actually, needs of the listener. Yeah, yeah than actually helping someone come um, to, you know, to redemption. Yeah. So. I'm so glad that you said in your sermon, I got so nervous on the video when I was help when we were recording the video, when you were like, <laughs> you said, uh, I don't think you said as an aside in the video, but you said, you know, maybe we need to be uh, more yeah. confrontational in our dinner parties and open our calendar and all that kind of stuff. And then it, you kind of set it up because then at the end you said, that shouldn't be our... That's not the primary that's takeaway. That's not the primary takeaway. <laughs> it's like, okay, go. <laughs> like, but there are some people that will never are... Yeah. They never pick a fight. Mm-hmm. They yeah. sell, and they And we do... There are some people that just, you know, escalating the tension isn't something that they'll do. And so I do think that there's enough point of application for those types. I'm not one of those. And yeah. I actually I need do, to I learn agree. to be quiet more often than not. I agree. I agree. I thoroughly agreed with your your takeaway. All right, let's go to the next question. Are there different rules for engaging professing believers versus those who are not believers? You know, I I, talked about this. Yeah, I wouldn't say that there are different rules. I would say that there is greater wisdom in some methods with particular audiences. So I would just, for the person asking this question, I would encourage them to thumb through the Gospels, looking at how Jesus... um, interacts with different types of people, how he handles irreligious people and how he handles religious people. And, um, and there's a lot to be learned there. With non-believers, Jesus often began by asking questions. It, to John's point, seeing if they're even interested, if they're seeking, if mm-hmm. they're seekers, uh, rather than making statements. Um, questions are often softer. And questions indicate that we're open to conversation. I think of Jesus's interaction with the, the woman at the well who was mired in all types of sin. He, he starts with questions to see if he can cultivate a relationship with her, a conversation with her. And um, asking good questions is a lost art. It's a lost art. Uh, we could, it would really serve the church well if we mm-hmm. learned how to genuinely ask questions of others, both believers and non-believers, and listen to their responses. Yeah, I was just going to say, asking questions and then legitimately listening. What? (laughs) Yeah. To what the other person says and not trying to figure out, are they with me or against me? What side? What do I say next? Yeah. Yeah. What's the, we were just talking about this. Most people listen with a the, counterpoint, with the readiness to reply. Yeah, they're they're listening so that they can develop counterpoints versus listening to actually learn. Where did where did that come from? I don't know. We just talked about this. I don't know. Sorry, he we talked listening. too much. <laughs> he wasn't listening. Yeah, right. There's a but, good book called Questioning Evangelism. It was a good, helpful book for me early on when I first became a believer, and I think the senior pastor at the church I was at was talking about it. And um, it's a good book. It's got a bunch of just 
good questions that you can ask when someone might be challenging you, you know, on your faith and, and bringing up things and that, that might make you feel uncomfortable if you're not quite prepared. But anyway, this book sort of helps you in having a back and forth, but through questions instead of just, you know, making it point by point. No, that's good. Did have I ever told you about my, have I brought this up, the train wreck uh, story from high school? So I took an apologetic, and I went to Christian high school. You had to take an apologetics class as a senior. Have I? Mm-mm. Anyway, the teacher brought in one of his really good friends who is a devout atheist and actually writes on and promotes trying, he's an, an atheist evangelist trying to convert. And it happens in this one senior class, this apologetic class, he brings him in and then the class, you know, dialogues and there's all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I remember like almost to the point of tears being so angry at how we behaved as a, mm. as a class because no one asked the guy a question. There were no questions and listening from, it was, everything was like, you know, he, he had his thing, you know, he started with, you know, so what you're saying is, um, you know, that, that people were here on earth, uh, before Jesus came, they all, they all burned in hell, right? That was his first, the first thing out of the gate. (laughs) And it just threw everybody into a frenzy of arguing with this guy. No, no, there's nobody got to know him. Nobody. Why do you believe what you believe? There was Mm -hmm. like the class could have gone so differently had we had the posture of I love this person Mm -hmm. and I want them to know Jesus, no matter how hard they are and what the conversation would have looked like had we done it differently <laughs> it's marked me big time because it, it it's, it's been the yeah. my experience is yeah. a lot of times we just don't question ask questions and then and legitimately listen, listen. Yeah. well and then back to the question are there different rules for believers versus non-believers if we're it could be the same with this question asking if we want everyone to just be seeking jesus then maybe it starts with asking good questions and listening whether you're a believer or not mm-hmm. who you're talking to and then maybe starting with yourself and looking at where are some things I need to maybe have better yeah. perspective on or that, that whole plank in the eye kind of thing. Are there any planks I need to remove from my eye before I engage in this conversation? For sure. Yeah, I, yeah I, one thing that when I think about believers and non-believers, one of the things that I used to get caught up in a lot, and I have, I have friends um, who, who are like this too, I spend some time with, but they get really frustrated that non-believers don't live like and act like believers. That's the sticking point for them. And it's like, well, their lifestyle is like that because they don't know Jesus. You can't get angry at the lifestyle. And don't, don't be, that is closely tied to Christian nationalism and wanting to determine people's lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it's, you know, it's the family member that lives with their, you know, they're not married, but they're living with their spouse. And, and you know, they can't believe it. Why would they ever do that? I can't. This is insanity. And can you believe that he, you know, it's like, yeah, I can actually. Mm-hmm. And that's not the starting point in the conversation right. with right. him. His morality is not. That's not yes. the issue at play here. Like, yeah, it's not great. And yeah, we want to talk about that at some point. But that's like front burner issue is not the fact that you know, you're, you're, this person in your family is now living with their girlfriend and they're not married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know that they don't know Jesus. So. I thought Paul in Acts chapter 16 did really well. How, how's that? I'm good segue. Mm-hmm. Well, it just struck me as arrogant to, to uh, say that I feel Paul did well. <laughs> I was struck by my own arrogance. Paul's the one who determines who does well. (laughs) You know what? Uh, Paul really grew. (laughs) All right, Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul, um, he's in Athens. There are idols everywhere. If you read the the narrative, he's bothered by all the idols, and that's understandable um, because of how lost the people are. But instead of saying, you folks are lost, how can you worship and bow to all these idols? That's not where he starts. He finds an idol with the placard on it that says, to an unknown God. He says, I want to tell you about the God you don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so instead of saying, 
you have idols everywhere. You even have an idol to some, in case you, you've missed a God, to an unknown God. How stupid are you? Instead of going that direction, he, he's, he's gentler. He's more, I would say, uh, whimsical in saying, let me tell you about the God that you don't know. See the statue over there. Uh, you're right. There's one you don't know. And, and I thought it was gentle and sensitive and mm -hmm. all the things I'm not. Paul did really well, though. <laughs> it's, context, it's, it's the term is contextualization. Right. So know your audience. Know your audience. Yeah. And we think of that in that term and, and the, often as, you know, a missionary that goes to the jungle in, you know, Ecuador. And they got to figure out a way to learn the culture and how do they make, you know. Bridge the gospel. Paul's in the sure. room and he's seeing the idols and he looks at that. Okay, that's a part of their culture I can use to tell them about Christ. If we think of ourselves, missionaries, in our culture, like that's what we are. Yeah. Living, a, a, you know, a missional, that term is a brutal one, but living a missional lifestyle wherever we're at. If we, if, if we see ourselves as missionaries in our culture and our relationships with our, in our neighborhood, those are the kinds of things that, that we'll do, right? So. All right, let's go to the next. Twelve questions left, yeah, yeah. and we've talked for an hour. <laughs> All right. As Christians, how do we exercise the influence of our faith and our stance on policy? Shouldn't we fight for pro-life policies, for example, that would end or slow down the abortion culture we currently have? Yes, absolutely. We should advocate for pro-life policies. I mean, Glenn Bible Church um, is, we are committed to, to a clear theology on the value of life. And uh, we, our church gives a bunch of money to support local mm -hmm. crisis pregnancy centers that help reduce the number of abortions in our county. I think we gave 60 grand this year. So it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure why some heard in my sermon, but they did. And I'll, I'm happy to own what part of it I need to. Uh, I'm not sure why though some heard in my sermon that we shouldn't bother with politics. Some though that was a takeaway and that I'm sad for that. That is not at all what I believe. The older I get, the more active I am actually in politics. Uh, being a good citizen means playing an active role in local and state and federal politics. First, by praying for those who are leading, doing what we're told to do in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse, verses 1 and 2. So we need to be praying for them. Um, in fact, we're in this, we just started day 21 days of prayer and fasting, and praying for national and state level governance is a, is a big part of that for we all are keenly aware of the, the stresses on our democracy right now. So, so we start by prayer and then by reaching out and supporting them as best we're able and then sharing our opinion. It's back to the whole ask questions, cultivate conversation. There was a, a local rep. He and I are, have very different political views, but I, I got him on the phone and, and I was keenly impressed with the rigor of his thought. Uh, he he uh, explained to me why he had the opinions he had politically on particular issues, and uh, we still don't see eye to eye, but I felt like I got to know him and was able to express my uh, worldview as well. And so I, I just, I think we exercise influence by engaging with our leadership through prayer and conversation. All right, we have three questions left. Two of them are long. This one's short. Did you have something on that? Oh, I mean, oh, I was just reiterating we can influence policy just in the, the things that we do, like supporting places like Caring Network, Avenue Women's Shelter. I yeah. mean, it's partly why I do the job I do in going into the schools and teaching kids about how to have healthy relationships. Um, and I think even though abortion is legal, we are seeing that abortion is at an all-time low yeah. right now. So we can still influence the culture, even if the policy is in place. Oh, that's good. Um, okay, so we have three questions left, and the last two are longer. This one's short, so let's just hit this real fast. Let's skip it. Shall we skip? Yeah. We basically have already answered mm -hmm. it in actually a myriad of ways. So let's go to the second to last question. Oh, I'm done. See you guys. <laughs> that's the one I was going <laughs> to. All right. Your remarks, referring to Kelly. Your remarks in third service about Jerry Falwell and the moral majority seemed disparaging of Falwell and unhelpful to your overall point. 
the central impetus for the moral majority was countering the exponential increase in abortions in our country. Roe v. Wade had passed, and really there was little the church was collectively doing together. You should know that Falwell and the moral majority played a critical role in drawing attention to and countering the abortion laws in our country. Plus, many came to faith in Jesus through the efforts of the moral majority. Your remarks in this regard didn't seem to be a well-thought-out illustration of the point I think you were trying to make. I really appreciate... uh, This was actually emailed to me, so I know who submitted this, and I appreciate the feedback. Um, I'll begin by saying that I have no doubt that good came out of the moral majority's efforts of the 1970s and 80s, uh, particularly addressing um, the rise in abortions in our country. I think that uh, there were good people involved in that effort, and I'm confident that God worked through them in, in some powerful ways. It was not my goal to disparage Falwell or the efforts of those involved with the moral majority. Let me also say that upon reflection, I wish I hadn't said Jerry Falwell's name. I wish I had only said the moral majority. Uh, most who are familiar with the moral majority, though, would have immediately called uh, Jerry Falwell to mind um, those two names, Falwell and the moral majority, are synonymous. But that being what it is, I don't make a practice. Can't remember the last time I said somebody's name from the pulpit. Did you say it in all three services? I did not. I I didn't hear it. I got a little wound up in third service. And I think the listener, in his his gentleness, he's right that um, I could have thought it out. At the same time, My point, let me see if I can make my point better for those third service listeners and now those who are wondering what in the world I said, who were in first or second or online. My point was simply that the name didn't serve them, us, or others well. The point I was trying to make was the church is not a moral majority. In giving a Christian organization, that type of name doesn't serve anybody well. The point I made was that we would be better described as an immoral majority. It would have certainly been more accurate biblically if the organization were named the immoral majority. Now, it's not a good fundraising. No, it's not a great (laughs) fundraising name. We are, though, a collection of sinners forgiven through faith in Christ. My point was that the name didn't serve anybody well because it misrepresented, or at the very least, was misunderstood by broader culture as a direct reference to the character claims of the Christians who were part of the organization. I made these comments in in reference to the Pharisees being unmarked graves, that is, unwilling to admit their true spiritual state and pretending to be something that they weren't in order to maintain social positions and power. The Christian national movement is a, is a movement aimed at maintaining social, political power. That movement got its start in the 70s in large part through the moral majority. When the moral majority saw that as a voting block, they could mobilize and influence presidential, national politics, man, all bets were off. And it started rolling in a a well-organized machinery. Yeah. A machinery. And we just need to be careful there. Again, let me, didn't mean to disparage anybody. I think good work was done through it. But when Christians, in my opinion, name themselves as a moral majority, we're misrepresenting who we are biblically. Yeah. I don't know much about uh, the moral majority and what happened there. I do, in fact, though, have an advertising degree and can tell you that's a terrible idea. It's a terrible name for an organization. No matter who you are, that's a bad name. Um, well, well, as soon as there was, you know, some not great behavior right. within yeah. the organization, Any yeah. I mean, it, right, it right. didn't go well. But to your point, when you were talking earlier about we should be uniting with many faith groups yes. if we're going to create a politically charged organization. What is going to happen if is exactly what's happening now, and it is one of the things that I get the most mad at. When you watch the news and you hear a statement like, Christian thought is this, or you know, mm-hmm. the, the Christians want this, who do you see as representing us and ta- talking for us? It is by and large, are people that I do not agree with at all. I would never attend their church. I would never sign up 
to eat at the same dinner. T- like, mm-hmm. it just makes me so mad yeah. that these are the people who, you know, the media will put these guys up and say, this is what Christians believe. And they are never people who are aligned with what I'm aligned with and people who are aligned with other like people like you, like our church, like people that I'm rubbing elbows with. They don't seem to be in touch with at least the majority of Christians that I'm around and it makes me mad. But, and you start to wonder, how did this happen? This is how it happens. When you create these organizations that are these, are a mouthpiece for Christians and you think it's a good thing because you start to see some things moving, but then Mm -hmm. 40, 50 years later, well, guess who's speaking for you? There's some interesting history. Um, um, Chuck Colson, he um, served in Nixon's, cabinet. Uh, well, no, he wasn't a cabinet member. He was more uh, Richard Nixon's henchman. He did his dirty work. In fact, went to jail because of his his uh, participation in the Watergate break-in. Um, just before going to jail, though, he's born again. It's a great biography with great political history in it. it the title of the book is Born Again, and it's written by Chuck Colson. It's just about how he participated in Watergate and then how God saved him out of it. It's interesting, Colson reflects on how he was tasked in Nixon's White House with interacting with special interest groups. I'm going to read to you Colson's words about when Christians came to the White House. When I served under President Nixon, one of my jobs was to work with special interest groups, including religious leaders. We would invite them to the White House, wine and dine them, take them on cruises aboard the presidential yacht. Ironically, few were more easily impressed than religious leaders. The very people who should have been immune to the worldly pomp seemed most vulnerable. And I, I think there is, or it's clearly played out in most recent politics. Many of our faith-based leaders, as Matt was saying, have been sucked into the vortex of um, national politics and, and trying to maintain social position, and it hasn't served our witness well. That was part of what I was trying to get at. Yeah. I would, right. I'd also, I mean, can we go back to the moral majority? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have, I just, I agree that there was probably a great deal of good that was done, um, you know, it, with Jerry Falwell. It was a huge organization, um, right, with lots it, of players. It doesn't have a really... So it's promoted its mission, pro-life, pro-traditional family, pro-moral, and pro-American was its mission statement. But it started uh, because the IRS, mm-hmm. do you know this? I know this. Revoked the licenses of and tax-exempt status of Bob Jones University because Bob Jones University would not allow a black man to marry a white woman or a white man to marry a black woman. They said that that was racial. Um, so in the post-civil rights movement, they started, the government started, the IRS started targeting organizations that weren't falling in line with civil rights and so, Bob Jones. So white evangelical schools in the South, many of them lost their um, licenses and their tax-exempt status because they did not allow black students to go there. That's what started Falwell's political activities because Jerry Falwell owned a school in Lynchburg, Virginia, that was a white-only school. So we need to be careful (laughs) on... We need to look through all of the data when we look at these organizations, right? Um, So I don't think you were necessarily misguided at all in what you said, um, in making your point. I think you clarified it that way, but I think we also need to be, nobody's perfect is, is, and I get, I get it. Like he, you can do a lot of good. Even in his imperfections. Yeah. Even in his imperfections. But the, the, even the, the grass, the, the, the foundation of the idea of the moral majority it's not pretty. It's not really pretty. And that's a lesser known history. That's not a broadly known history. Some of the reading we've been doing well, on, he, on racial reconciliation. And one, the large, one of the largest expenses of the, of the moral majority was to purchase advertising in the South that said that Jimmy Carter wasn't actually a real Christian. Yeah. The, 
the Sunday school teacher, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah. That he wasn't an actual Christian, that Ronald Reagan was the actual Christian that you should vote for. Because Reagan... $10 million of advertising to tell... Well, because Reagan was pro-William Rehnquist, who was a Supreme Court justice, that he, Reagan knew, would uphold these, um, the uh, tax-exempt status of these schools. But it got overturned eight to one. Right. It wasn't even close. <laughs> anyway... I Again, I'm not, we're not here to beat up Jerry Falwell. We're not here to beat up the moral, moral majority. That's not what we're, we're doing. We just need to be really, really careful with Christian organizations that have political activities would be my takeaway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go into the final question. When you say that Jesus would have never carried a Roman banner, Rome was also not a representative democracy. Other than zealots and rebels, I don't think anyone would have ever thought about trying to influence Rome's policies or law. My fear is that your thoughts validate the all-too-often Christian bubble approach. Yeah, so I hope not. I, I, am, I am not, I, I'm, <laughs> again, I'm activistic. I think we need, to, good citizens means uh, that we need to be uh, participatory in our republic. Um, I'm not sure how I would lead, what I said would lead people to believe that politics in my life doesn't matter or, or that we shouldn't be good citizens. In fact, I went out of my way to say that we, we are to be good citizens. This type of response where there's a poll offered, Beth, you brought it out earlier, where it's in either this or that and they're polar. I, for some reason, I, I do find that Christians think that there are really only two options politically. Either we're, we're Christian Zionists, <laughs> The city of God people who are trying to establish, um, well, a Christian nationalism, that being one end of the pole, or there were Amish isolationists. You know how the Amish retreat into their communes and they, they won't pledge allegiance and they won't participate in, in the republic. Those aren't the only two options. Mm-hmm. There's got to be, and this is what I'd really advocate for, a way to, as Christians, serve our country selflessly, sacrificially, by living lives of truthfulness and humility and advocating for justice and demonstrating Christ-like love. And that happens as we participate in the church primarily, although not exclusively, because some of us are called to be politicians. Some of us are called to go to D.C. So let's let's get away from there being only two options, either a Christian Zionism, where we're kind of trying to found a Christian nation, or a Christian isolationism, where we're just going to remove ourselves from from civic duty. And let's find let's find a way to participate and and emulate Christ in the public sector. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the next level podcast six three zero. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday sermon and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends a learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. Keep the questions coming. Uh, They grow us. Thanks for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.